Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. This is Bay Curious, the show that answers your questions about the Bay Area. I'm Olivia Allen Price, here with science reporter Daniel Potter. And today, we've got a question about palm trees. Yeah, a fine summertime question sent to us by this guy. Do you prefer Joe or Joseph? Uh, it doesn't. Do Joseph, because my wife likes that. Let's go with Joseph. Note to self. Joseph Morales is an electrician. He recently moved to Emeryville from blustery Chicago. Which is too cold for palm trees. Joe, are you a fan of palm trees? I love palm trees, because it reminds me of vacation, right? So noticing all the palm trees around here got him wondering. Why are there so many palm trees all over the place? Northern California doesn't really seem to be the ideal location for palm trees. This week on Bay Curious, how did all these seemingly tropical palm trees become a common sight around the Bay Area? Answers just ahead. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hi there, I'm Randa Dilfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. All right. So Joseph asked how palm trees became commonplace around the Bay Area, even though they're not from here. Yep. California's only native palms are from the desert, much further south, around Palm Springs. But you can see dozens of other species around the Bay Area from all over. A lot of them aren't even from this continent. They have far-flung names like the Chinese windmill palm and the Canary Island date palm. This is called a Mexican fan palm. This is Joe McBride. I'm a professor emeritus at the University of California. I had a joint appointment between the Departments of Forestry and the Department of Landscape Architecture. We met on a street in Berkeley where two of the main types of palms you see in the Bay Area were planted side by side. The Mexican fan palm. Its leaves are like a fan or like the fingers on your hand. These trees get tall, sometimes more than 60 feet up with leaves a good four feet long. Exactly. And next door, palms from off the coast of Morocco. 
a couple of Canary Island date palms. They've been widely distributed around the world as a landscape tree. You see these along the Embarcadero or near the Bay Bridge toll plaza. They might remind you of giant pineapples at the top. And where fan palm leaves look like your hand, these leaves resemble feathers. They have a very long frond with uh, small leaflets coming off on either side of that long frond. These fronds above us here are about seven or eight feet long. It's an individual leaf, if you will. Okay, so if our palms come from places like Mexico and Morocco, how did they get here? My first guess was someone brought them over for food, since some palms produce tasty dates. But in this case, not so much. These were introduced uh, into California by the Spanish padres at the missions. They used the palm fronds uh, for processionals on Palm Sunday once a year at their churches. So there was nothing like this growing in the vicinity of the missions. Oh yeah, lots of churches give out palm leaves the Sunday before Easter. As a kid, I would sword fight my brother with those. But yeah, the first missions were established starting around 250 years ago. From there, more settlements were built and more palms were planted. Cultivating dates eventually became part of it, but also, in the 1800s, palms got very trendy back in Europe. They were symbols of the tropical world people were excited to explore. Having a greenhouse or a room full of palms became a status marker. Or maybe a fad. It was just a fashionable thing for the rich and famous to have, and that idea sort of spread to hotels where they had these indoor palm gardens that were basically lavishly furnished dining rooms with potted palm trees. McBride says in the following decades, as Los Angeles was growing, that same style became part of its DNA, its image. Okay, so let's jump to the 20th century. Growing date palms for food was also a factor. Yes. Check out this awesome tourism video from Palm Springs in the 1950s. For many centuries. Because date palms cannot be grown from seed, offshoots had to be brought back from the ancient kingdom of Babylon, now known as Iraq, and planted in the Coachella Valley. Others came from Tunisia and Algeria. And today, over 4,000 acres near Palm Springs are growing dates. From one of the growers, we learned so as palms were coming into vogue in California, they turned out to make pretty good street trees. Over the last century, they've been put in all over the Bay Area. Including around Market and Dolores Street in San Francisco, where I walked with Martha Ketterer. I'm a landscape architect with the city and county of San Francisco. It's fair to say you've presided over the planting of hundreds of palms? Easily, yes, easily. Now, Ketterer can't just go planting palm trees around the city because she likes them. Palm trees are very sexy-looking creatures. Although she clearly does. And the shape and the way they hold themselves and the way the fronds drape down. It's really beautiful overall. When it comes to streetscaping, palms solve a lot of logistical challenges compared to woody trees. For example, urban survivability. Palms can cope amid the salt from seawater or with gusty winds. So the wind just whips down Market Street. Palms' small roots also give them some advantages. They're less likely to lift up sidewalks, and they're easier to transplant successfully. If you're spending taxpayer dollars to install a tree with a crane, you really don't want to risk it dying. Just as a contrast, Ketterer says transplanting a nice oak tree can cost around $50,000. 
Palms are less cost prohibitive, and you can put them next to brick buildings or even power lines and not worry about branches getting snagged. You can plant a tree that will already clear the overhead live contact wires of the Muni. Okay, so palms are practical. They check a lot of boxes if you're looking for a tree for a park or a city median. But we should also note there are some palm detractors out there. In certain wet habitats, some palms are considered invasives that can crowd out native plants. And when palm trees were being planted in the aftermath of the 1989 earthquake, some people decried it as this tacky, wannabe Southern California look. It was going to be the Los Angelesation of San Francisco. I also read an In-N-Out burger in the Sierra foothills once set up palms, which didn't exactly jibe with the woodsy surroundings. The city council made the restaurant get rid of them. But palm trees do have a certain cachet. Yeah, they're kind of iconic. Our question asker Joseph said they make him think of being off work in some exotic sliver of paradise, and I wanted to get at the cultural reason for that. So I made an introduction. How are you doing? Nice to meet you. Joe Morales, how are you doing? Nice to meet you. I'm Jason. Jason Deweese is a horticulturalist in San Francisco who also wrote a book called Designing with Palms. So Jason, why'd you pick this spot? Well, here we are out on the Yacht Peninsula of Emeryville, and I picked this spot because I helped a friend design the landscape here for the Yacht Harbor folks. While Deweese was showing us a bunch of palms. On the Chinese windmill palm, which has kind of a gorilla hair leaf base. He also argued palms have a place in our collective imagination, dating back thousands of years to the dawn of agriculture. Some of the earliest representations of plants by the human hand are representations of palms in the deserts of North Africa and in Saudi Arabia. From petroglyphs to ancient coins, palm trees have long been a symbol. They show you that you're in a place where you can grow food and where there's water and where the palm tree itself is going to provide dates. But not just food. He says palms have been planted for beauty and pleasure. Planting a palm in a garden in a place where palms will grow shows that you are taking care of that land, that place. Palms kind of send a message like, oh, hey there. It sure is nice here, isn't it? How'd this all land with our question asker, Joseph? What else are you wondering, Joe? Ah, he covered a lot. (laughs) This guy knows a lot about palm trees. It's crazy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, you've been a... (laughs) great insight to palm trees. I've like it's you know being from Chicago we don't have palm trees. Yeah. <laughs> Joseph, welcome to California. Indeed. And thanks for the cool question. Thanks also to Joe McBride, Martha Ketterer, and Jason Deweese for helping us find answers. If you're interested in more big curious stories about non-native trees that are now widespread in the Bay Area, yes, we've done this before. Check out our episode on eucalyptus. If you go back to the California farm journals of the 1870s, 80s, 90s, there's there's just report after report of disappointment, like these trees are no good. We'll put a link in our show notes and you can find it at baycurious.org. You can say we really get at the root of the matter. Science writer Daniel Potter, I'm your biggest fan. Hey yo, thanks for having me on, Olivia. It's been palmy. All right, we need to shut this down. If you haven't yet signed up for the Bay Curious newsletter, now is the perfect time. We've got a special letter in the works right now with all sorts of ideas for things to do with your upcoming weekends. Get in on it at baycurious.org slash newsletter. Bay Curious was made in San Francisco at KQED. I'm Olivia Allen Price. 
All right, it's time for us to leave. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.